So I wanted to do our series today, Philippians 4. We're doing a series on peace and contentment. This is such an important concept. And as I've been digging into this series, I've wanted to extend it, but I can't. I just, you know, I'm gonna, I gotta move on. But maybe what I'll do is we'll come back and revisit it because I feel like I just kind of tore into a couple layers. And in one sense, in one sense, this series is kind of everything. And here's what I mean by it. Peace and contentment here, as we've been saying, it's not something you chase, it's something that you carry. But a lot of us, the truth is, we're raised in a culture where you're told to chase it. They use different words than that, but everywhere you go, you see pictures, you see bulletin boards. It's as if Facebook was designed to say this to you, This is happiness, and you don't have it. And it's posted everywhere. This is what you need to get to to get to happiness. And so the series that we're doing is talking about peace, contentment is something that you carry. It's something that you have here. And I'm going to wrap that in a minute. Um, Paul said this, Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And let's say this sentence together. Ready? I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That's good. I've learned this secret. Some people learn this. Some people don't. And I'm going to come back around to it. Um, As I was preparing this, um, yesterday I was... uh, 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 texting a friend. He said, you got to watch the, you got to watch the sermon the guy gives at at the Royal wedding. And, uh, some of you spent all day watching the Royal wedding. I know. Um, I, I didn't want to spend the whole day, but I did, I did replay it and it was phenomenal. And so I said, the guy, the guy's message was orchard Grove. It it was, it was, it it was us. And he stole my material and he did it better than me. (laughs) And I'm so mad at him. But I'm going to play it anyway. I'm going to give you a little clip right here, okay? Think and imagine a world where love is the way. Imagine our homes and families when love is the way. Imagine neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. Imagine governments and nations where love is the way. Imagine business and commerce when love is the way. Imagine this tired old world when love is is the way. When, When love is the way, unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive, when love is the way, then no child will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. When love is the way, We will let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. When love is the way, poverty will become history. When love is the way, the earth will be a sanctuary. When love is the way, we will lay down our swords and shields down by the riverside to study war no more. When love is the way, there's plenty good room. Plenty good room for all of God's children. 
Because when love is the way, we actually treat each other, well, like we are actually family. When love is the way, we know that God is the source of us all. And we are brothers and sisters, children of God. My brothers and sisters, that's a new heaven, a new earth, a new world, a new human family. And let me tell you something. Old Solomon was right in the Old Testament. That's fire. They are Deshadon, and with this, I will sit down. We got to get you all married. <laughs> <laughs> French Jesuit Teilhard de Chardin uh, was arguably one of the great minds, great spirits of the 20th century. A Jesuit, Roman Catholic priest, scientist, a scholar, a mystic. In some of his writings, he said from his scientific background as well as his theological one, in some of his writings, he said, as others have, that the discovery or invention or harnessing of fire was one of the great, one of the great scientific and technological discoveries in all of human history. Fire, to a great extent, made human civilization possible. Fire made it possible to cook food and, and, and to provide sanitary ways of eating, which reduced the spread of disease in its time. Fire made it possible to, to heat warm environments and thereby made human migration around the world a possibility, even into colder climates. Fire uh, made it possible. What, there, is no, there was no Bronze Age without fire. No Iron Age without fire. No Industrial Revolution without fire. The advances of science and technology are greatly dependent on the human ability and capacity to take fire and use it for human good. Anybody get here in a car today? An automobile? Nod your heads if you did, I'm guessing. I know there were some carriages. But those of us who came on cars, Fire, the controlled, harnessed fire, made that possible. I know that the Bible says, and I believe it, that Jesus walked on the water. But I have to tell you, I didn't walk across the Atlantic Ocean to get here. Controlled fire in that plane got me here. Fire makes it possible for us to text and tweet and email and Instagram and, and Facebook and socially be dysfunctional with each other. Fire makes all of, all of that possible. And, and Deschardins said fire was one of the greatest discoveries in all of human history. And he then went on to say that if humanity ever harnesses the energy of fire again, if humanity ever captures the energy of love, it will be the second time in history that we have discovered fire. I wish I could do that. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I need to get a robe or something. I got a few things going. I watched this, I watched this sermon, and, and we were going to play the whole thing, but I know for some of you that would be the fourth time you've seen it. Uh, but things inside, it, everything was just yes. Like he's, he's saying 
What I, have you ever had someone put into words what you've always felt and thought? And everything inside me was going, yes, yes, yes. And so I got the team together. I said, you have to, you have to find a way to relay that message in case people missed it. It's, it's more than the speech, though. Um, the whole event... Um, so I'm going to do just a little talk on, on try to connect current and world events, and then I'm going to bring my whole message back around. Um, I think is in some ways a watershed. Um, she's a divorced woman. Fully celebrated, fully enjoyed, fully embraced. That didn't happen in the past. She's mixed race. Absolutely unthinkable in the past. Completely celebrated. Um, If you watch the whole thing, it was definitely not your stuffy royal wedding, although it had its stuffiness to it. Uh, Did anybody see the Black Gospel Choir? have some soul in the royal palace. It was, it was about diversity. It was about ethnicity. It was about inclusion. It was, it was a, there was a message that was woven through the whole thing. And some people get it. Some people didn't get it. But here's the thing. Listen, um, when, the, when the service was over, and, and some of you didn't see this, they brought the, the pastor you just saw, uh, Bishop Michael Curry, Outside, and then they had the Archbishop of Canterbury who did the vow, so he was the official officiant of the thing. And so they brought him out, and the Archbishop of Canterbury is this white guy. And so, and then you had the uh, my, uh, Bishop Michael Curry uh, there together. And you should study this guy phenomenon. This guy is amazing. The things that he's doing and has done. Um, but they're there together, and the press goes. And the press just didn't know what to do. They just wanted to get a story and like, well, that was different. That was unconventional. And they're talking about the, the gospel choir. They're talking about his sermon. They're talking about everything. And, and so they asked the Archbishop of Canterbury, what did, what did he think about the unconventional nature of this wedding? And you've got to see this interview. But he, he, he's, he looks... He just gets flustered because they kept going, this is unconventional. This is different. And he just goes, he just throws his hand. He goes, well, there's nothing conventional about Christianity. There's nothing conventional about it. And that's the problem. That's the problem. It was an absolute revolution. When it started, it was a revolution. And then it got stayed, and then it got organized, and then it got pasty, and then it got white, and then it got, right, and then it got put into cathedrals and then you weren't supposed to have coffee and then every, and then it all got highly organized and a highly, and it got stayed and it got, and it was an absolute revolution. They didn't meet in cathedrals. That came hundreds of years later after they merged the state with the church and then they had all the money. They didn't have money. It was underground. They met in homes. They met in caves. They met anywhere they could find a place to meet. And they changed the social order of how things were done. Slaves were no good. Women were no good. Gentiles were no good. And they changed everything about how life happened. And then once they got into power... Then it became 
preserve the status quo. This guy was so frustrated. He was trying to say, don't you get it? They're bringing us back to how it was in the beginning. This is Christ. This is the message. It is absolutely revolutionary. So I said, I have to, I have to show this. I'm sure you'll watch the whole thing. You have to. But he keeps talking about the power of love. The power of love. Over and over and over again, what love can do. And why Jesus said it was the great commandment. And if you've been here at Orchard Grove, you know this is what I harp on all the time. He says everything falls underneath that. People try to put other things ahead of love. No, it doesn't come ahead of love. It comes underneath. Jesus told us if you're if you're call yourself a Christian or a Jesus follower, then you have to listen to at least a couple of things he said. And one of them would be, what's the greatest commandment? Everything falls underneath that. So if you give your kid 27 rules about going to college, and it's this, and it's this, and it's this, but you say, above all else, you'd say, use common sense. Or above all else, do this. Because some things you don't know the details of, right? Any laws, they start to get bunky and messy, but love always does the right thing. And love has the power to change the world. And so this was what, this is what Jesus taught, and it was revolutionary. Jesus was not a part of the establishment. The establishment killed Jesus. Let's be clear. He pushed them beyond their comfort level. But it was only so that they could love and include everybody. Not being included. Not being loved. His powerful and profound effects on people. But over the years, the church then morphed into something that they thought, well, it would be good, it would be our job to divide people. To, to have the ins and the outs. And Jesus always was including people. So then I came on this question. And if you hear it, you'll hear him say it much better than I. Love can change the world, and that's true. So then the question is this. Yes, love would do it. If everyone in business and government and everywhere operated on the concept of love, it would. So here's the follow-up question. And I'm sure he didn't have time in his sermon, so I'll do the follow-up. So why don't we? If it would change the world, why don't we? Why don't we operate driven by love? Why, why don't other people, because you don't like to look at yourself in the mirror that much, so you could talk about why is it people are that way? You can start with them, if you like. I'm going to throw an idea out there. People don't follow the ways of love Ready? Because they're commanded to. They just don't. You don't and I don't. As much as we'd like to say, well, well, let me see, how should I operate today? Let me get out the book again. Let me see, what are the commandments? Oh, yes. Oh, but Jesus said love was the greatest commandment. That's what I'll do. It's not how, it's not how it works. That's not why we love. Or There has to be something else. How many here have ever known the right thing to do, but you didn't do it anyway? I'll close my eyes. <laughs> we don't love, listen, this is, we don't love because 
we're told to, or the commandments tell us to, or Jesus told us. That's not why we do it. Listen, listen. My theory. We love because we're happy. Think about it. We love because it bubbles out from the inside of us. Because it's in us. Because all of us, commandments and all that from the outside, it could kind of keep us out of jail. Right? Commandments can keep you, you know what I mean, keep you socially acceptable, but it can't produce, this is important, it can't produce something on the inside. People that are loving are happy people. Think about it. No, no, I like, I like to be stodgy and loving. No, I choose to be cantankerous and loving. No, I choose to be ornery. No, no, you, you aren't. It's, it, the, the, find the connection between love and happiness. You're, you're going to see what I'm saying. In other words, there is a connection. When we're happy, we're free. We're generous. We're giving. We're supportive. We're, we're forgiving. We're all these things because it's bubbling up on the inside of us. Which brings me back to this how I would like to wrap up this whole sermon and this whole series. The key to changing our world is changing who? You, 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 some of you got to listen. Because I know you're thinking, no, it's those people, it's that group, it's, this, it's, the, it's, it's the Democrats, it's the Republicans, it's, right? And you're always pointing, always pointing, always. Listen, the key to changing the world, ready, is to start who? Here. If we were fully happy, think about it. Love flows out of us so freely. If you're happy... It's like this creative energy that just oozes out of you. Here's the question in life. Here's the question. The question in life is this. Are you ready? Do you want to be happy or not? Here's the question. Do you want to be happy or not? And you're like, duh, Chris, this is, uh, duh. No, I want you to ask yourself, no, 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 no. Do you want to be happy or not? Let me say, yes, I do. I thought I would get more, okay? Some of you just choose to be not happy. I don't want to have lunch with you. Here's the thing. Some of you, I think most of you would say, I think my answer is yes. I think my answer is yes, because you're worried if this is a trick question, where are you taking this? Most of us have been tricked into a qualified yes. Here's a, yes, I want to be happy, but this happened to me. I want to be happy, but I lost my job, but my kids are sick, but my wife left me, but... So what you've said, you, the answer is no, you don't want to be happy. You want to be happy only if, sir, wrong question, do you want to be happy? 
Ready? Do you want to be happy? Here's, let me say it better. No matter what. Do you want to be happy no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what happens? Is that your choice? Because if you want to be happy, guess who's happy in life? People who want to be. And other people tie their happiness to their environment, to their circumstances, to their situation, to their job, to their... And guess what they are? (sighs) Always two weeks from being happy. In other words, they're always miserable. Happiness is some sort of secret that Paul learned. I want to read something to you. Somebody gave me a book, and this guy said it so well. I'm like, I'm just going to relay it. Because this is, to me, what it's about. And, and the person was saying this. Imagine, imagine you're hungry, famished hungry. I mean, you, you, you got lost, you, you, you live out in a remote part of Africa, and you got dragged away, and you, you're, 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 I mean, you're, you haven't eaten in days, and you get to the, you, you find your way back home, or you were kidnapped, and they drop you off at the door, and you come, to, you come in the door of the house, and people are so glad to see you, you've been lost, you're emaciated, you're starving. And they say to you, you just... What would you like to eat? And you say, I don't care. I don't care what it is. You're with me. I mean, no, no, some of you didn't get the whole story because you were like, well, I get some rice. And... No, no, if you're starved, you don't care. There is no answer. It's food. It doesn't matter what kind. This is what's so important. It, once you decide, once you make a decision that I'm going to be happy, no matter what, it's a choice I made. Regardless of my... Then, because guess what? Your car's going to break down. <laughs> my mom used to always, you know... Um, my mom is no Dave Ramsey. Let's just say it that way, right? If you follow that circle of thought. Um, but she's an artist, and she's the best. She's the, she is the best, right? Um, but she's always like, well, the brakes, the brake. I can't believe. And she's getting a bad brake, and my brother finally, Mom, come here, Mom. If you drive a car, eventually the brakes go, right? If you, if, you, if you drive a car, eventually you get a flat tire. Eventually somebody hits you. Eventually, it's just all a part of what? Life. And a part of life's going to be bumps along the road and problems in this and that. So I'm not talking about my mom... Emotionally, I'm talking about economically. She's like, oh, I can't believe this happened. Emotionally, you're going to get a flat tire. You're going to lose your job. This is going to happen. And you have to decide ahead of time, I'm going to be happy. Guess what? It's amazing how happy some people are. Happier than you. And you're kind of mad because they shouldn't be. he's made a decision. In the fourth chapter of John's gospel, he called it a river or a spring that's inside you. A lot of people don't tap into this spring. They're always looking for something on the outside. 
And Jesus is having this conversation with the woman at the well, and she thinks it's about external water, about this. And Jesus goes, no, it's inside. It's inside. And if you knew what I was talking about, you would understand that there is a spring, there is a river on the inside that you can tap into. All of this comes down to a fundamental choice, a fundamental option. Here it is. Do I look for it on the outside? Or do I recognize it on the inside? Will I choose today, today, to be happy? Not happy if, happy. Most of us would say, yeah, I choose that. But I always have the if, happy if, happy when. This is happy. And guess what? When you get there, you're free. You're free like you have never been free before. You're free to give. You're free to share. You're free to love. You're free to include. You're free to welcome. You're free. You, you, you are a comp- and, and you don't walk around worried about what the commandments are. It all flows from the inside of you. Love can change the world. The question is, how do we learn to love like that? I think, and I could be way off base here, but I think it starts in here. And you make a decision because you know that that river, God's spirit in you, right? There. This is, this is what you tap into. And you make a decision that you're not going to tie it to what's around you. 